very excited about starting this new series, which kind of really is going to is going to continue from the follow series that we left just a couple of weeks ago. I think this is a theme that God is uh, opening up for us as a whole community. And, and if you're a visitor this morning, perhaps you're not yet a Christ follower, you're not a Christian, you're here to check it out. We're really, really glad you're here. We hope that all of these weeks will be really uh, applicable to you and helpful for you, to you to understand a little bit about why we make all this fuss about Jesus, because that's what this is all going to be about over the next six weeks. But before we get onto that, who was this? It's not a trick question. Who was that? Muhammad Ali. What was his catchphrase? Yeah, there's the butterfly thing on BBO. I am the, the greatest. In fact, he said this, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. Quite worked that one out. He also said this. He was a little, a little lacking in confidence was Muhammad Ali. Um, I'm so fast, he said. That last night, I turned off the light switch in my hotel room, and I was in bed before the room got dark. <laughs> no, you weren't. In fact, you all know the old story that he's on this aeroplane, and um, he wouldn't put his seatbelt on, and the air stewardess said to him, you need to put your seatbelt on. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which she, quick as a flash, said, Superman don't need no aeroplane either. Put the seatbelt on. <laughs> genius. Genius. The greatest, fantastic boxer. This is him now. Doesn't quite look the same, does he? Doesn't quite look the same. Um, movie stars, they're great, aren't they? Who are these movie stars? Anyone know who they are? Spencer Tracy and who? Catherine Hepburn. Some of you are like, hang got a clue. They were the greatest movie stars in the world in the 1940s and 50s. Does greatness last? What about this fella here? Anyone know this fella? was buried recently, Sir Tom Finney, in his 90s, I think, just in his 90s. In his day, apparently the greatest footballer that this nation, England, has ever produced. Doesn't say a lot, because he's English, but he was a great footballer, amazing footballer. Most of us in this room, never seen him play. Does greatness last? What about these boys? Who's that? The Beatles. You've heard the Beatles, haven't you? Yeah? Okay, no matter what country you're from, you've heard of the Beatles, yeah? Uh, they kind of did some pretty good things, I, I guess, or pretty, ch- pretty great things, perhaps some people would say, in terms of music. But they made some statements about themselves which are interesting. Let me read one. Christianity, said John Lennon, will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I'll be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. They may have done some good things for music, but I'd beg to differ on some of the comments that he, uh, that he, he said there, to be honest with you. But you see, greatness, if I'm going to follow someone that's really great, I want to know how great are they and does their greatness last? Because we can follow people who are great, who consider themselves to be the great I am, the will I am type of thing or whatever, and we can say, oh, they're great, but they might be now, but where will they be in 10, 20, 30 years' time? Because actually, if I'm going to give my one and only life to follow someone who's great, I want to make sure that greatness lasts. And our goal over this next six weeks, next 40 days leading up to Easter, is to show you why Jesus Christ is the greatest person in history, the supreme person in history, not one of many, but the one and only. And he is worthy of you following him because he is the great I am. Do I hear an amen from anyone? Okay, there was a little mutter. Brilliant. Um, 
And our source, where we're going to look at the material for this and how we're going to show this to you, is the Gospel of John. In the New Testament, there are four Gospels, we call them. Written, uh, John wrote one. The other three weren't Paul, Ringo, and George. Okay, let me just get that clear for you. The Gospels were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to look at the Gospel of John because that's where these I Am statements are located. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of background this morning and then launch into our first I Am statement. Um, the other three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, focus more on the human side of Jesus and what he actually did, whereas John focuses more on the divine, the God's side of Jesus and who he was. That's where the balance of these Gospels is. And um, in the Bible, there are some numbers that come up from time to time, and numbers can be quite significant in the Bible. Many Christians get fixated by numbers. I'm about to mention a number. We're not going to go there, all right? We're not going to get fixated by numbers. Some Christians really do that. But the number seven is a really important number in the Bible. It's the number that's symbolic with perfection or with divinity, with the number of God. And the number six is, is the number that's associated with imperfection and with man and with humanity. And seven is important because John is trying to show us who Jesus was. So he uses seven quite a few times. There are seven witnesses to, to, his, to his birth and to who he was. There are seven major miracles he focuses on. And then there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And when Jesus says, I am... He's not just saying like we would do, I am Leon, I am Dan. He's saying something much more significant than that. And every person who hears him say, I am, understands the background and the context of that statement. Because it's rooted in their national identity and in their history. And you've got to rewind hundreds and hundreds of years to the time of Moses in the book of Exodus. And let me give you the background. We looked at this story uh, a, f- a year, 18 months ago. Uh, basically, the people of Israel are in Egypt and they're in captivity. They're in slavery for 400 years. Uh, and Pharaoh is the, the king there. And Moses uh, was, was a Hebrew boy but grew up in the palace of the Egyptians. So he was kind of grew up as an Egyptian, but he was a, he was a Jew. Uh, and one day, as a, as a young man, he, he says, you know what, this isn't right. And he tries to, to do, put it in his own strength to try and liberate his people out of slavery. And he, it ends up all going wrong. And he heads off into the desert and for 40 years becomes a shepherd in the desert. And then one day, as he's minding his business, doing what shepherds do, uh, he sees a bush that's on fire. Nothing unusual there. That happened all the time in the desert. But this bush didn't burn out. And he thought, that's strange, that really is strange. And he walked over to it, and then God spoke to him out of the bush. And that's pretty strange as well. And God said some stuff to Moses, and God said, Moses, I want you to go back to Israel, Egypt, and I want you to confront Pharaoh, and I want you to bring my people out of captivity, and I'm going to be their God. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, helpfully, I am who I am. That's quite a riddle, isn't it? I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. When you and I introduce ourselves to people, we say more than I am who I am, don't we? In fact, you could try it at work tomorrow. Or if you see someone for the first time, you say, who are you? You say, I am who I am. (laughs) And you kind of see the reaction that you get when you say that. Because we say, I am, and we say a name. But God says, just say, I am who I am. Now, in English, that means nothing to us. But in Hebrew, it means everything. Because the word he uses is a new word that nobody had ever heard before. A new revelation of who God is. It's the word Yahweh. 
so sacred to the Jews that they wouldn't even say the, the vowels. They would, Y-W-H-W, and that's how they'd say it. They wouldn't say it, wouldn't even speak it out loud. It was so sacred. But this new revelation of who God is, is about his, who he is. It's about I am who I am. In other words, nobody created me. I'm uncreated. I'm self-existent. I'm inextinguishable. I never get tired. I never get weary. I was, I am, I will be. All this great stuff about God. But also, this is where I think it's exciting. It also reveals who God is in relation to his people. All of a sudden, God is stepping down and he's saying, do you know what? I'm not just who I am. I'm going to intervene in your life. And then as he leads these people of Israel through the wilderness, he starts to say, not only am I the bread, but I will give you bread. Not only am I light, but I will give you light. Not only am I a good shepherd, but I will shepherd you. Not only am I the way, the truth, but I will show you the way and the truth. And this is who I am and this is what I do. This is how I'm going to interact with my people. Now fast forward, thousands of years, Jesus gets up and says, I am the bread of life. Is the first one. And that absolutely blows them away because this guy, he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the great I am. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this first statement where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, why bread? You'll notice our little display here. And for those of you that are aware of food and poverty, you might be thinking, how can you, you know, use all that bread and look at what that could do and you're going to throw that away and I share your thoughts on that, which is why I agonised a little bit over it. But we decided to do it in the end and I went to Asda really late at night and bought the bread that was stale and about to be thrown away and it was all 10 and 5p. So I did try and break one of these loaves when we did communion, but I can't break it, it's that stale. So if you're thinking about eating it afterwards, I wouldn't suggest you do. That was all going to be thrown away anyway. But it's helpful for us to see that because it's a powerful image, isn't it? It's a powerful metaphor. Why would Jesus call himself the bread of life? Why is that the first I am statement he makes? Let me give you some suggestions. Bread is universal. It doesn't belong to any nation or any region. You know, the Italians, they have pasta, don't they? But, but bread doesn't belong to anyone. It's universal. You can't say bread belongs to this country or this region. You see, if you go to Mexico, then bread is a tortilla. If you go to New York, it's a bagel. If you go to Paris, it's a baguette. And if you're from the black country, it's a cob. <laughs> and some of you who are overseas, foreign, you ain't got a clue what I was on about there, but you, you understand, that's a local dialect. That, that's what it means. And, and bread is universal. Bread is also available all the time. It's not seasonal like some fruits, you know, like some drinks that you only drink at certain times of the year. It's available all of the time. Uh, it's also, um, it's varied in the way that you can receive it and eat it. You can butter it, you can toast it, you can grill it, you can bake it, you can do all kinds of things with it. And it's also a staple diet, in other words, a basic, but it can also be done creatively and with great care and and almost like, I mean, I I love fresh bread, don't you, if you're on holiday, you know, getting fresh bread every morning or, or different kinds of bread. It's like a basic and it's like really quite luxurious as well. Bread is a great metaphor for Jesus to say, I am the bread of life. I'm available to anyone, any time of the year. I'm a basic and I'm kind of that other edge as well. That's why he says, I am the bread of life. So my question to you this morning is this, what are you hungry for? 
What are you hungry for in your life? What are you hungry for? Whether you say you're a Christ follower or not, what are you hungry for? And we're going to look at John chapter 6, if you've got a Bible. If not, the words that we're going to use are coming up on the screen anyway. And this is the chapter that I looked at a few weeks ago in the, in the follow series. And we're going to look at the same chapter again. We have to look there because this is where I am, the bread of life, is rooted. And we're going to look at it in its context. Perhaps we're looking at the same chapter twice in a few weeks because God wants to speak to us out of this chapter. But what happens here is that at the start of this chapter, Jesus does an amazing thing. He, he, he's out with a crowd of people, 5,000 men, probably 15,000 people. They're all hungry. And he says, what? And the disciples say, you know, we need to give these guys something to eat. And he says, well, what have you got? Find something. So he comes back and there's some bread from a little boy and there's some fish. And he breaks it and he prays over it and he puts it in the hands of the disciples. And all of that little bit feeds thousands of people. It's a miracle. And then he walks on water. That's a miracle too, if you, if you were just not sure about that. And then after that, he starts to teach the people and the crowd are following him. And as he starts to teach them, it's obvious that there are three groups of people within the crowd who are hungry for different things. And I wonder if you're in one of these groups. The first group were hungry for stuff. We could call them materialists. That's what it says in, in John 6, 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. In other words, you only only want me because you want stuff. You want me to feed you, you want me to give you some stuff. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Many people in Jesus' day followed him because they were looking for material satisfaction and actually material solution to the problems of their day. They watched on us in Rome, and you might not know this, this is history now. Rome instituted something called Bread for Peace. It was a welfare program they instituted around the same kind of time as this. Because in Rome, lots of people were homeless and jobless and hungry. And there was unrest on the streets of Rome. So they instituted a welfare program called Bread for Peace to try and quell uh, the agitation. Uh, And people watched this and they knew in the Roman world that that didn't really work. It wasn't really working and there was issues with it. But that's interesting because I, I kind of just as a little aside, some of you may have noticed that there's some big lorries outside this morning and they're here for the food bank next door. The food bank storehouse next door is moving. It's been part of one of our buildings, which we own all these buildings on the side and we've housed it there for, for many years and they've grown and flourished and now they've grown so much that they need bigger premises. So they're moving to a place in Briley Hill. And there's lots of controversy about food banks in the press these days and with politicians. You know, I, I don't want to comment politically. I just know this. When people are hungry, we need to give them some food. We need to give them some food. Now, we need to look at the reasons why they're hungry as well. That's important. But when they are hungry, we need to feed them. And that's what the food bank does. And that's a brilliant thing, isn't it? And we have a distribution center point here in the church. And we will continue to do that even when the storehouse moves. But the storehouse services distribution points all around the black country, all around the borough and beyond. That's an amazing thing. In fact, I think it would be really awesome if we prayed for them right now. Can we do that? Why don't we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for, for the group of people that had that vision many years ago to have a food bank here. And it started really small. Now it's really big. And Lord, that's great in one sense. And it's tragic in another because the need is there. But God, I want to thank you that where the need is, there are people who want to meet the need. And Lord, that's a brilliant thing. And thank you that your church, the church of Jesus, is at the heart of that as well, which is an awesome thing as well. Bless them as they move, we pray. 
Bless them as they transport all the stuff over to Briley Hill. And God, we pray that they will continue to be a source of help and hope for many families across this area, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you know, it's great to meet people's physical need, and that's really important. But the other flip to that a little bit is for many of us in our culture and in our situation, we're not just hungry for our daily bread to meet our need. We're hungry for more than our daily bread. We're hungry for stuff. We're hungry for material stuff. And Jesus is saying, you guys are only hungry for these material things. And he says, it will never satisfy you. Stuff never satisfies you. Now, 2,000 years later, we're much more evolved. We're much more uh, developed. We don't, get sat- we, we don't hunger for material stuff now, do we? Uh, we kind of do. And I was researching for this and I read this ridiculous quote and it said this, we are all against materialism. We don't want to be materialistic. We just want more. My goodness. 89% of people surveyed in the UK said that they, were, they feel that we as a people are too materialistic. 89%. Professor Philip Graham, who's a professor of child psychiatry, said this, one factor that may be leading to rising mental health problems is the increasing degree to which children and young people are preoccupied with possessions, the latest in fashionable clothes and electronic equipment. I think our culture is in big trouble with this issue, don't you? And I'm part of that. And when we, you, you, you all get to the stage, or we get, some people, some of you are young, get to the stage where they say, oh, when I was your age, we didn't have that. Anyone ever done that? Come on. Oh, we were so poor, you know, <laughs> and all that. And, and, and when, you grow, when you're young, you say, oh, I'll never say that when I'm older. And then when you're older, you say exactly those same things. But isn't it interesting that the expectation on the generation now is so much different to what it used to be, even in my time and then beyond, my goodness, unrecognizable. And the, the appetite for more stuff is growing and growing and growing, and it's never satisfied. It is never, ever satisfied. American talk show host tells of a, a, an advert that he read for a sex therapist. And this is what the advert said. If you're not completely satisfied with your sex life, give us a call. Now, what's shocking? What word is shocking about that statement? If you're not completely satisfied with your sex life, give us a call. It's not sex life, all right? Just some of you are thinking. What's the shocking word in that statement? Completely, isn't it? If you're not completely satisfied with your sex life, as if you have an expectation or a right to be completely satisfied. That is such a reflection of our narcissistic, individualistic, me-centered, entitlement generation. If I'm not completely satisfied, then I should get a new one. So if I'm not completely satisfied with my spouse, I should get a new one. If I'm not completely satisfied with my house, I want to get a new one. With my job, with my body, with my church. If you're not completely satisfied, you deserve to get a better one. The thing is, you get a better one and then you're not completely satisfied there, are you? Because we weren't designed to be completely satisfied by any stuff. Jesus says, speaks into this. You guys, you're hungry for stuff. You're hungry for material things. You know, they said of the the Russian, Russian sociologist wrote recently, and we need to pray for Russia, don't we? And for the Ukraine and Crimea and all that horrendous stuff that's happening on our TV screens. But Russian sociologists looked at the collapse of the Soviet uh, communist ideal. And uh, they commented and said, you know, when communism fell, they realized all of the widespread alcoholism and despair amongst the Russian people. And they said this, replacing God with the state 
and the illusory hope of a utopian workers' paradise cannot satisfy the human heart. And we fill our garages with nicer cars and our mantles with all of our trophies of success and our houses with all of our stuff. And it doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy the desire and the hunger that is inside of us. We're looking in the wrong things. We're looking for the wrong things in the wrong place. And instead of trying to get more and more and more, because that seems to me like insanity, doing the same thing and expecting a different result, perhaps we should ask ourselves another question. Am I looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place? Is that why more stuff doesn't satisfy the hunger within me? And I'm part of that. And Alison will tell you, and I open my wardrobe and I think, oh my goodness, how many more clothes can I get in? How many more do I need? And I'm part of that whole thing. You are part of that whole thing. Are we hungry for stuff? Do we think that that is going to satisfy our desires? Now, I'm sure there's nobody in this room that's, that, that's, that's affected by any of this. But just in case there is, let's just do a little experiment to see if there's anyone in this room that might be affected by this. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take out your purse or your wallet for a moment and just put it in your hand. And if you haven't got your purse or your wallet, take out something probably more precious to you, your phone. All right? So take out your purse or your wallet or your phone. And I want you to imagine... Okay, that, that, that's kind of, you know, that's representative of a lot of stuff that's important to you. And I'd like you just to stroke it, just like that. Is that okay? Just caress it. Just make sure it's there. All right? Yeah, good. Now I'd like you to hand it to the person on your right. Okay? Oh, hello. <laughs> Can I just say, there are some wallets coming out that nobody has ever seen for years and years. It's amazing. Now what we're going to do, we're going to take an offering. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, you can give it back. You can give it back. We're not, we're not. <laughs> but I wanted to do that because I think we have to, it's easy for someone like me up here to say, I'm part of this as well. This grips me as much as anybody. And Jesus says, are you hungry for stuff? It'll never satisfy you. So why do you keep adding and adding and adding? Ask another question. Ask another question. You know, this applies when you become a Christian. If you're not a Christian this morning, you think, oh, all these guys who are Christians, they don't ever do that. We really do. And let me just read something to you which really helped me to see this. An author called Jean Zorn, she wrote this. As a new Christian, I presume Jesus' main job was taking care of me. He led me to a job, Roommates to share apartment costs and a car that ran. But after a while, she said, this is interesting, my tastes got fussier. Like the Israelites <laughs> waking up to manna every morning, I was tired of the same old, same old. I wanted a home with more privacy, a more interesting yet less stressful job and a shiny new car. My list continued to grow. I wanted Jesus to perk me up when I was down, remove my difficulties and make living a whole lot easier. Recognize that? And it's not that any of that, it's not that God doesn't give us stuff. He gives us our daily bread. But when we hunger for stuff, we will never, ever be satisfied. So what are you hungry for? You're hungry for stuff. But then there was another group of people who were hungry for rules. They were legalists, not materialists, but legalists. It says in, in, in verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? So if it's not stuff, we've got to do something. And Jesus says, no, 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 you just got to believe. You just got to follow me. You don't have to do something. You're just hungry for rules. And if you've been brought up in a church or you've been brought up around faith, what often happens is that you get just enough to inoculate you against the real thing, like an injection. So what an injection does, it takes a little bit of the disease and gives you enough to make you immune to the real thing. That's what religion does. 
gives you just enough to immune you to make you immune to the real thing. Interesting, Aristotle and Socrates, they say, follow my teaching. Buddha says, follow my meditations. Confucius says, follow my sayings. Muhammad says, follow my noble pillars. But Jesus says, follow me. And G.K. Chesterton, a writer, he said this, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Well, I'm hungry for that, aren't you? Hungry for that, not just for the rules, but for a relationship. And thirdly, are you, is there a hunger for signs? Are you hungry for signs? Are you a sensationalist? Because there's materialists and legalists and there are sensationalists. It says in, in verse 30, so they asked him, what sign then will you, uh, will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? So if it's not what we do, if it's not what we can get and it's not what we do, it must be something that you can do. Show us a sign. <laughs> he just fed a multitude of 15,000 people with a little packed lunch and walked on water and they still weren't satisfied. That's interesting, isn't it? Now let me say something really clear. I am really hungry for God and I'm really hungry for more of God and I'm really hungry for all that God wants to do and he does do miracles. I'm hungry for all that. But there is a danger that you and I can get caught up in a hunger for signs and not get caught up in a hunger for the Saviour. We can get so fixated with what he does that we miss out on what really satisfies us, which is who he is. And I'm hungry for all of that stuff, but I'm more hungry for him. And so then Jesus begins to teach into it. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is not just the physical bread, but it's spiritual bread. Not just to feed your, your, your hunger physically, that's important, but I want to feed you spiritually. And here's what I want to say, folks. There is a gap inside every single one of us that can only be filled through God. So he says, I'm the bread of life. I'm going to feed you and only I can do it. Stuff won't do it. Rules won't do it. Sensational signs won't do it. Only I can do it. So what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? And then some of them said, sir, they said in verse 34, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, as I said a few weeks ago, many of the crowd then said, ooh, I'm not quite sure about that. So you're not going to give us all the stuff and the rules and the signs? I'm not sure. And they pressed unfollow and they deserted. And then he turned around to some of the guys and he said, are you going to go too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. It's a little bit like what Peter was saying was something like this. Have a listen to this. Lord, you are not easy to live with. You embarrass us and at times you frighten us. We don't always understand you. And yet your words are the most remarkable that we've ever heard. They explain who we are and they make us understand life itself. We are satisfied by you and are held here by our desire for more of you. We have put our faith in you. You fit the prophecies and you fulfill the predictions. You are the great I am. Where else would we even think about going? We are hungry for you. We are hungry for life. So what about you this morning? What are you hungry for? Perhaps you've never tried this bread. I don't mean that bread. That's from Asda and it's stale. I mean this bread, the great I am, the bread of life. Perhaps you've never tried it. 
Perhaps the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Perhaps you've never given your life to Jesus. You know, you're here and you're you're checking it out and you're exploring and you're open. You're asking questions. You may be on Alpha and you're thinking about that. But perhaps you've never said, yes, Lord, give me that bread. You can do that. You could do that today. You could do that with the person who you've come with. You could come to one of us afterwards and talk about that. We'd love to talk to you more about that. Perhaps you've never tried this bread. You can do that. But perhaps, as I sense, there are many of us in this room. Perhaps you've stopped going to the bakery. Perhaps what you've done is that you said, yeah, yeah, I've eaten of that bread, but you know what? I've kind of stopped going to the bakery every day. The Bible says that when, when God sent the manna, the bread, for them in the wilderness, every day, they were meant to collect it fresh every day because it went off. But they didn't do that. They said, oh, thank you, God, and they turned away, and they just tried to eat that bread, and they, and they just didn't do that. Which is why that devotional that we've given you is such an important thing. Now, you've probably got your own way of doing that. That's brilliant. But if you haven't, or even if you have, we'd encourage you to do this because every day you can get some fresh bread. Get a bit of the Bible, some interesting thoughts, a tool to apply, and a prayer to pray. Every day, that will make a massive difference over 40 days. Some fresh bread. And when I'm on holiday, I love going to a bakery or to a shop where there's fresh bread every day on holiday. Anyone like that? But back at home, it's like, oh, that bread's gone off in the bread bin. Do you know what I mean? It kind of gets stale. But that focus of going to the bakery every day, or perhaps you've got bored with the bread you have. Like the Israelites, you've got bored with the same old, same old, and you want Jesus to perk you up a bit and give you a shinier model. And perhaps you say, do you know what? I need to come back again to hunger for what's really important, which is the bread of life. Jesus says a really important statement in Matthew 4, verse 4. But let me read it from the message because it's interesting. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to stay alive. More than bread to stay alive. Then he says this, it takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. God does provide for our needs. And God does intervene. And God does do miracles. I really believe that. And that's all brilliant. But what's most brilliant is that he is the bread of life. And if you're hungry today, you can come to him. You can eat and you can receive of him today. What I want to finish with is somebody sent me this in the week and I've rewritten it and uh, put it, some of my own words around some of it. And I want to read it out to you because I just think it's powerful. It's powerful. In fact, we read it uh, before we started this morning when we were praying as a team before. So, so, so just hear this. And it may be that there's one line that really hits you and you say, that's me. That's bread for me. That's, that's a stream of God's word for me. I'm going to hold on to that. That's going to feed me. So listen to this. Jesus stepped up as the Son of God the great unchangeable I am and is able to breathe life into every situation. Jesus said, I am. Who is able to give me real hope and answers? I am. Who could possibly be smart enough to figure this out? I am. Who is capable of loving me unconditionally? I am. Who is able when my vision is bigger than my resources? I am. Who is worthy of my trust? I am. Who can I be sure is listening to me? I am. Who is there when my marriage is sinking and I don't know where to turn? I am. When I'm pouring into others, who's pouring into me? I am. When I'm not sure why I'm here? I am. When I'm tired? I am. When I quit? I am. When I need a drink? 
I am. When I can't, I am. When I need a fix, I am. When I need a lover, I am. I am the first, the last, the beginning and the end. He's the great I am. He's the bread of life. You can receive of him right now. Why don't we pray? Just close your eyes just for a moment if, you're, if you can. And it may be that you've, you've never tried this bread. Or it may be that you've just stopped going to the bakery and you want to say, Lord, please, I want that bread. You can do that right now. You can say it to him right as, we, as you sit and as you listen to my voice. You can say that right now. Just say it to him, Lord, feed me. God, let me feast on you. Be my all in all. Perhaps some of us need to look in our wardrobe and say, you know, we need to chuck some stuff out rather than keep adding some stuff in because it ain't working. It is not satisfying us. And come back to Him. Lord, I pray that we will come back to You. We will feed on You, God, that we will be satisfied in You. Only You, Lord Jesus. You are the bread of life. Available to all. Available all the time in so many different forms. God, thank you. Thank you. And we receive of you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take communion as we close. Servers are going to head up to the back to pick up the bread and the wine. And they're going to come and they're going to give it to you. I want to ask you, hold on to it. Don't eat or drink yet. Let's do that together. That's a brilliant thing to do. But while they do that, something else that I want to just, I want you to think about. You see, Jesus didn't just use bread of life just, just by random as, a, a, as an illustration. He used it for so many reasons, like I've just told you. But there's something else that's interesting. In how is bread made? There's a process, and it's, it's this wheat grows up, wheat is cut down, it's ground, it's put in a fire, it's made, it's, eat, it's distributed, and it's eaten. That's interesting. When you, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You know, in Isaiah, in chapter 53, which was a prophecy written hundreds of years before Jesus came, it says the Messiah will grow up like a plant. That's what it says. Like he'll grow up like a plant, almost like a plant of wheat. And then Isaiah says that just like wheat, he will be cut down. He will be ground. He will be pounded and he will be beaten. It says he was wounded for the wrong we did. He was crushed for the evil we did. And then this prophecy says, like bread, he was passed, he'll be passed through the fire on the cross. The Bible says, the Lord has put on him the punishment for all the evil we have done. Isn't it interesting? How you make bread is a plant grows up, it's cut down, it's ground down, it's put through the fire so that we get to eat. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. I am the bread of life. And today... 2,000 years later, we get to eat and drink and remember not only what He's done, but who He is. He is the bread of life. Not He was, He was and He is and He will be to come, the bread of life. So as you receive those emblems, I'll come back in a minute and lead you as we eat and drink and worship together. Just reflect on His goodness and receive again from Him today. And it may be that you're going through a tough time in your life right now. You can receive from Him even as we speak and as we sing.